I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is multi-Emmy nominated TV host, author, speaker, and social entrepreneur, Philippe Cousteau. And I'm really excited to have him on the show. We're going to talk about his latest release for young readers, The Endangered. Welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. How did the idea for this book come about? Well, uh, two years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, meet with a, a really an extraordinary uh, executive editor at HarperCollins, a guy named David Linker. And um, we were chatting about some ideas um, around telling stories of environmental significance to young people and, um, and how to do that and, and just kicking around some, some concepts. Uh, my background is in education and conservation with a focus on, on youth. Um, as really what, what I believe are the, not just the leaders of tomorrow, but the leaders of today for driving uh, uh, hope and environmental action forward. And so that manifests itself through both my conservation work at Earth Echo International. We do a lot of you know, classroom programs and after school programs with kids all over the world, uh, documentaries on television. Um, but I also wanted to do something in the fiction space because I also feel that you know, sometimes we can tell certain truths and we can really get people excited in, in a way through fiction that we can't through nonfiction. And so um, we were, we started talking about the crisis that's facing uh, our planet today with respect to the, the amount of endangered species that, uh, that, that we have in the world. The fact that uh, this planet loses somewhere around a thousand to 1500 species every year to extinction. And um, how could we tell that story in a fun, engaging way for young people um, that, uh, that would make them feel like they had uh, an active role as participants in helping to solve that problem. And, and this book, The Endangered, was the result. So give me, a, give me a little backstory of how you got to where you are now, because people know you from your grandfather, Jacques Rousteau. What was it like, you know, growing up? Give me a sense of that. Uh, you know, probably a lot more uh, normal than most people would expect. I, you know, my... My grandfather, as you said, was Jacques Cousteau. He was a famous, world-famous uh, explorer and, and environmental advocate, um, filmmaker, writer, etc. cetera. Uh, in fact, 76 years ago uh, is when my grandfather first set foot into, uh, into a little river outside of Paris to test his aqualung invention, this ability, this, this device that would allow uh, humans to swim freely for extended periods of time underwater, what we know today is scuba diving yeah. uh, that he co-invented. And, and so it's really only been 76 years um, since our exploration of the ocean. And he was really a pioneer of that. And then my father, Philippe Sr., joined him throughout the 60s and 70s and producing dozens of documentaries and, and being a, a world-renowned explorer in his own right. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, uh, tragically in an airplane accident six months before I was born. Mm. So um, my mother, uh, who was raised in Redondo Beach, um, we, we moved back to L.A. and I was born here in Los Angeles. And so my life growing up was, again, probably a lot more normal than most people would expect. We saw my grandfather several times a year, but I didn't grow up on expedition and traveling all over the world like many people assume. Would have if my father had still been alive, but uh, didn't get that opportunity. Um, nevertheless, I grew up with my father's films, my grandfather's films, and, and, and my grandfather's stories. And, and like I said, we spent a good amount of time with him every year. And that had a huge influence on me. And so um, uh, growing up when I was 16 years old, I got an opportunity finally to go on an expedition and um, to Papua New Guinea and, 
and see remote tribes up in the highlands and spend weeks diving and doing research in Milne Bay with a world-renowned oceanographer and an extraordinary uh, um, pioneering woman, Dr. Eugenie Clark. And that's when it was all the, the films and all the stories that I'd heard clicked with the reality of being able to go on these adventures. And I realized this is the kind of work I want to do for the rest of my life. Amazing. I feel like it's in you genetically in some way. You know, it, it does feel that way sometimes. Like you just can't imagine doing anything else. But um, I will say that it's that it's, in, it's such a, a, a wonderful uh, privilege to be able to. And my grandfather always said this, you know, when you have the opportunity to travel and to see the world and, and do these extraordinary things, you also have a responsibility to share it with people and not keep it to yourself. And, mm -hmm. and it's really been a, like, the mantra and the guiding mantra of uh, three generations of my family has been um, to pursue these adventures and to, and to pursue the exploration of the world. Um, but that with that knowledge comes a responsibility both to, to fight for the protection of that world, but also to share our journeys and share that inspiration with others. Sure. Now, how long have you been host of Exploration Awesome Planet? So Awesome Planet, um, just uh, six years, six seasons, I guess, okay. a little bit more than six years now. Things were on a little bit on delay with um, with uh, with COVID, as you can imagine. But uh, right. six season just premiered a week and a half ago. So we had our second episode last, uh, what, Saturday. And um, it's a syndicated show. It airs in pretty much every household across the country, typically on local, uh, like local Fox stations in most um, places, but sometimes local NBC or local, you know, CBS, et cetera. Um, uh, that is also on Amazon Prime, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's been a, it's been a show that um, we've been all over the world with it. And, and um, it's, it's still really popular. That's amazing. Tell me about how you decided to, to target this younger audience for the book. So, uh, you know, the, the great thing I believe uh, about youth is, is that it, it truly is the beacon of hope for the future. We, you know, there's a lot of bad news in the world today. Uh, and I spend a considerable amount of my time through my nonprofit Earth Echo International that we started 15 years ago, um, working in education with youth uh, around the world. And it is truly the antidote to the bad news is walking into any classroom or auditorium of a elementary, middle, high, high school, anywhere in the world and seeing the, the optimism and the, and the hope and the determination on the faces of young people. And um, so recognizing the power that young people have to change the world, not just when they get older, but today, the, the, having seen it with my own eyes, young people who have, who have helped pass laws, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old at right. nine, eight years old that have transformed their communities and gotten whole towns to ban single use plastics through campaigns that they've come up with and launched themselves at, you know, eight, nine years old projects that have seen young people protect vast swaths of land, raise incredible sums of money. Young people are so powerful today and can drive so much change. We certainly saw a groundswell of young people that helped to have a considerable influence on, on the winner of, of the presidential election that just happened here in the United States. Yes. And, and certainly helped to elevate climate change as one of the main primary issues mm -hmm. um, that helped propel that win. And I think that, um, um, you know, the, 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 the focus for us has been recognizing the power of young people and, and zeroing in on, on enabling and, and, and fostering that power. Um, and a book like The Endangered is one way to do that, uh, in particular, focusing on that middle age reading level, um, eight to 13 years old, which the book targets, 
um, that's an age that, that, that is just beginning, I think, to recognize their, their potential and their influence, um, has such a passion for animals as a, as a general rule, um, and is an age that is formative. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted to do this book, create this wonderful, exciting adventure of a motley crew of endangered species. We have a, a pangolin, a, a polar bear, an orangutan, um, and a, a, a narwhal who band together when they're rescued from the wild and brought to a secret facility in the Galapagos where they're given this, this, this special serum that gives them hyperintelligence unbeknown to their human um, uh, rescuers. And um, it allows them secretly to go on these missions to fly airplanes and, and hack that. satellites all over the world to rescue endangered species. And um, so it's this wonderful, amazing book and it's gotten terrific reviews and kids love it but it's also teaching them something. All the backstories of the animals are rooted in real issues. At the end of the book, there's real information about these animals and ways that you can help, that kids can help support them. Good. We have a partnership with World Wildlife Fund and other organizations. We're doing live webinars with real researchers in the field. Last week, we had a researcher from Nigeria who rescues pangolins and, and we're doing, a, I'm doing a live Zoom webinar and we've got a bunch of classrooms and kids all over the world participating. I and he's got it. a little pangolin like hanging Wait, out what on What is a pangolin? I need to know. Yeah, of course. So the, the, <laughs> we, we chose a pangolin. So polar bears, orangutans, these are animals that most people know. So the pangolin actually, uh, let's see here. Is it a penguin what, and a something? But uh, oh, Wangari, okay. here's the cover of the book, but Wangari isn't in it. So let me find a little illustration. Pangolins are like, um, basically they kind of remind people of armadillos. They're similar in size. They're these animals, a mammal that lives in, um, Asia and here she is, uh, skydiving. Um, <laughs> but they have an armor plating. They are the most heavily trafficked, uh, in the illegal wildlife trade animal in the world. Whoa. Um, pangolins are, uh, uh really extraordinary creatures. And however, it's believed that their scales all have medicinal qualities. And so uh, hundreds of thousands, 100,000 or, or more pangolins, probably more every year are, are killed. That's awful. Or their scales okay. uh, in soup, uh, predominantly, uh, you know, destined for, for China, Singapore, places like that. Uh, of course, their scales, just like rhino horn, our keratin, which is the thing, same thing that our hair and our fingernails are made out of. So it's complete nonsense. Nevertheless, um, these animals are, are being decimated. For That's this, so sad. Horrible, you know, belief. Senseless. That it's, you know, Makes no sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So we put uh, a pangolin in the story and we, we were, we were talking Good. to a researcher in Nigeria with a little pangolin on his shoulder on last week. So we're doing lots of different things around the book to help okay. kids engage and, and be part of the solution. And you're teaching about these different breeds of animals and it's great. Yeah. Did you have a say in which animals were chosen? Yeah, it was, uh, uh, you know, we sat down and, and David and I and my co-author Austin and we just talked through different kinds of animals that we're passionate about um, and that we thought could represent the different challenges that animals are facing. So for example, the polar bear, um, the, as the Arctic shrinks, polar bears are having, there's less sea ice, which is where they hunt uh, mm-hmm. on sea ice. And so polar bears are suffering um, because of uh, overfishing and also art changes in the Arctic and habitat loss and, and changes in the ocean. Narwhals and other oceanic creatures are suffering um, because of the illegal wildlife trade. Animals like pangolins are disappearing um, because of the illegal pet trade and deforestation. Uh, animals like orangutans are suffering. 
Um, so we, we, we looked at, we wanted to take some, some iconic orangutan and polar bear and some less well-known black-footed ferrets who are also um, heroes in the first book and pangolins and mix them all together to, like to create a, a, a dynamic group um, of, of characters, both known and, and perhaps lesser known. When's the animated series coming out? We are already having those conversations. Right. So um, it definitely had, a, had an eye to the idea of, of creating something that could be an animated show for um, Definitely, for yeah. Do you, are you finding that the quarantine has been challenging? However, it's allowed you to kind of pivot in a different way? You know, yes, I am a big believer. Uh, uh, I was just on a staff call uh, earlier about our annual planning. And, and as we always remind our, we have a mantra at Earth Echo that there's no problems, only solutions and no challenges, only opportunities. And, and you know, for us, both the silver lining to this has been that um, we are able to, we've been home with our 16 month old daughter is going to be 17 months coming up here soon. soon. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been a wonderful privilege because I certainly would have been traveling a lot if it wasn't for right. that. Um, but also in this terrible time and the, the amount of suffering out there is, is, is un, unimaginable. I know so many people right now are, are suffering because of this pandemic. And I think, however, it is also a, a reminder. Uh, this is a zoonotic disease. This is a disease that came out of nature and it came directly because human beings were encroaching and destroying wildlife. That's, okay, so that's why coronavirus exists. Okay. Yes. Let me so, ask you that. Let me ask you that because I've yes. heard so many different versions of it came from this, came from that. Did it come from a bat in Wuhan? Well, it's possible. Now, the okay. thing is typically bats uh, don't transfer directly to humans. It's, it's, it's hard for viruses to jump from, from bats into people okay. directly. It's very, very possible, <clears throat> likely, in fact, that it um, had some sort of an intermediary, perhaps a, a wild pig, something like that. But that these animals in these in these wildlife uh, in these um, you know these wet markets are all packed together. These, you have wild animals, semi wild animals, some more domestic animals, chickens, all packed together. And so the potential for tr disease transfer in sure. these situations is enormous. Whereas in the wild, it's not. Yeah. And so um, uh, you know, regardless of whether it came from bats, some speculation that actually may have jumped into pangolins before it jumped into people. That's what I heard, I did um, hear maybe that. Uh, speaking of what? pangolins, yeah. uh, but there's, you know, we don't, we don't know, we likely never will know 100%. Right. Sure. What we do know, what is crystal clear, is that this pandemic came from our destruction, our encroachment into nature, it came from a wild animal. Mm -hmm. um, it has cost our global economy 10, 15, 20 trillion dollars once it. it's all said and done. Yeah. Um, and it's estimated that, in, that, to, that to prevent these kinds of uh, pandemics in the future, in order to protect the, the, this wildlife and stop this kind of encroachment, it would cost us somewhere around $100 billion a year. Okay. $100 billion, 10 or 20 trillion dollars. Trillion, yeah. So um, it's, I, I think this is also a reminder of, of the price that we pay as we continue to destroy what's left of nature. And this is something that scientists have been warning about for decades, and we have ignored. There just so happens to be another crisis that we've been ignoring for decades that scientists have been warning about, the climate crisis, sure. and we've ignored that at our own peril. So I hope people are able to connect the dots here that inaction is far more costly mm -hmm. in the long run than action now. And um, um, I think that's really you know, the idea that in one of the core concepts of the endangered is that things are out of balance but that if we work together, yeah. that we can restore balance. And that's really the, the, the underlying message.
Sure. Anything else you'd like people to know about the book? Um, just that it's a lot of fun. I think, you know, for, for we, we target a lot of reluctant readers. I think a lot of kids are at home right now. Um, you know, for parents that, that, that want something for their kids to be able to look at and, and read and, and get, get engaged in. It's the first in a series. We're already oh, uh, well underway in, in book two. Good. And uh, um, I don't know if you could hear my little girl in I the background. Did. She just started walking. So she's very excited about it. Look that. out. Um, you know, fundamentally, the last thing I'll say is um, uh, my daughter is 16 months old, almost 17 months. And in the last 50 years, 40 years, excuse me, we've lost half the biodiversity on this planet. Mm -hmm. And so all of us have to take a good long look in the mirror and question what kind of a world and who gave us the right to diminish it and pass on such a diminished world to our children. Sure. Uh, and when we talk about biodiversity, it's not just about talking about animals and fish and pangolins and polar bears. All of these ecosystems keep us alive um, and are vital to the web of life that we rely upon for food and shelter and security and stability and sustainability. Right. Um, so uh, anyway, that's the message and, uh, and I appreciate you having me on. Fantastic. And where can people find the book? So you find everything about The Endangered that you need at uh, www.theendangered.com. Okay. Links to webinars that we're running for the rest of the month. Um, links to classroom resources, adoption kits with World Wildlife Fund, and other ways that you can connect with Earth Echo and help support endangered species. Fantastic. I hear somebody paging you. I know. She's calling. She's hungry <laughs> for lunch. I apologize. <laughs> it's fine. This has been great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you need anything else at all, please don't hesitate. Okay. Sounds good. Right. Wonderful meeting Take you. Care. Take care. Bye. Bye.